Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the studio. What is going on? How's it going? Episode 25 is finally here. The big two five. This is a big one, people. This is an episode I have been looking forward to for quite some time. Today, we finally answer the question, what is the studio? I'm glad I get to finally talk about this because people have reached out to me and they ask me, oh, so like, what is it exactly that you're doing? Like, are you running a business or is, are you running some type of Ponzi scheme? Like, what is it that you do? And simply put, the Soto Studio is my business. The studio is my startup. We are a design agency that helps companies create and establish their brand through design. Whatever it may be, websites, mobile applications, product design, all of it. But the studio itself, the actual studio experience, is something that you can't sum up in one sentence. A little over a year ago, I was featured in a magazine article. In the article, I was asked about how I got into design and how I came up with the idea of the studio. And I kept it very professional. I guess one one could say I really had to give sort of a filtered generic HR response. I think I said that I came up with the idea and the concept of the studio in my tiny student housing apartment during my junior year of college, which to be fair was the truth. But the real story, the real version, it was kind of left on the back burner. It was a story I was advised by certain business and HR reps to not tell. But fuck it, this isn't an article interview, this is a podcast. The real story isn't some clear and concise story where everything worked out exactly like it was supposed to. The real story, like life, is a bit more complicated than that. To really get the full extent, the full behind-the-scenes story, we have to kind of rewind a bit. Probably to when I was 15, about 10 years ago, I know, listen, bear with me, people. It'll all make sense in the end. See, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I started dealing with anxiety at a really early age. A really early age. Like, I hit puberty and my serotonin was like, all right, buddy, I'll see you later. Good luck out there. By the time I was 15, I was dealing with full-blown panic attacks, insomnia, depression. Shit just wasn't working for me. I don't know why. I think I was getting something like two hours of sleep a night every night for years. Like, years. So I, I guess one could say growing up wasn't the funnest of times. High school wasn't all bonfires and football games, if you get what I'm saying. And so yeah, man, I was just this lost kid who was dealing with a lot of shit. I stopped trying in school entirely. It never really interested me to begin with, so I just really didn't care. I think I finished my freshman year of high school with like a 2.1 GPA and I had to go to summer school to retake some bullshit math class. But the thing is, it's not like it was hard. School wasn't hard. I just didn't try. Like I would teach myself Python so I can code and shit. Like I would not do basic science homework, but I would teach myself Python algorithms. I literally spent my eighth and half of my ninth grade year teaching myself HTML, CSS, Python. I didn't dive into JavaScript. I did that a couple years later because it was a fucking headache. But, you know, I've always had a knack for computers. I just kind of got it. 
if that makes sense. So really the situation with school, it just came down to the fact that I didn't apply myself. That's all it was. So anyways, I remember towards the end of my freshman year of high school, I think it was like May, so May of 2011, uh, I was flipping through the channels and I came across this movie called 500 Days of Summer, which if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a great fucking movie. So I come across the movie and I'm like, oh, I've, I've heard of this. Let's just see what it's about, you know? And in the movie, the main character is an aspiring architect. And throughout the movie, there are scenes where he's sketching out buildings, cityscapes. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, that looks pretty cool. Let me go try that out. And I vividly remember going to the printer to grab a blank piece of paper, a pencil, and I just started drawing. The first architecture drawing I ever did was actually a replica of the sketch Tom does in the movie. Again, if you haven't seen it, just Google 500 Days of Summer Architecture Sketch and it'll come up. So I recreated that. And then I created my own. And then another. And then I just started learning new techniques, shading techniques, one, two, and three point perspective techniques, maps, cityscapes, floor plans, elevations. I just remember drawing and drawing buildings. I couldn't get enough of it. I was completely obsessed. And at a certain point, I realized that the insomnia that I had and all the anxiety and the depression I felt, it wasn't going anywhere. So I just kind of said, fuck it. And I started channeling it all into my art. So I remember I spent the summer going into my sophomore year of high school, drawing and designing all night. And then I would go to summer school for a few hours during the day on no sleep. And I would just kind of bullshit my way through that. And the momentum just kept me going. Like the beginning of my sophomore year, I bought a sketchbook and that became like the most important thing I owned. Fuck carrying around notebooks for class. I already had everything I needed with that sketchbook. And that's kind of when I pivoted away from computers for a little bit. And I spent that entire school year just filling up that book. So sophomore year is almost coming to a close. Grades completely in the shitter. So the school year is almost done. And how my high school worked, they would reserve a spot for you. And you and your counselor would pick out the classes you'd be taking the following year. I'm assuming they would just kind of make their way down the list, student after student, call them into the office from class when it was their turn and just get everything situated. So it's my turn. They call me in, I make my way down to the office, and on my way there, I'm expecting just a quick face-to-face -face meeting, 15 minutes in, 15 minutes out, no big deal. I walk into the office, and there's three faculty members sitting there. My counselor, another counselor who I also knew just because it was a small school, and the vice principal. I see that, and I'm just like, well, this should be fun. So I sit down and my counselor, he goes, so Angel, I brought in Mr. So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so because we all three felt like we need to have a serious talk with you about your grades. And I'm like, all right, here we go. This is it. And the vice principal chimes in, which before we go on, I want to say that they were super nice about it. You could tell they truly cared about their students because they took the time to meet with me. They were never assholes to me. The one who was an asshole was another counselor, but that's another story. And so, yeah, the vice principal starts talking. He says, Angel, I just don't get it. 
All of your teachers keep saying that you're a smart kid. You just don't try. What's going on? A couple moments pass, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't care about what I'm learning. It bores me to tears. I'm never going to use it in the real world. So I'm not going to waste my time doing hours of homework or killing myself over it. The thing I want to do with my life is nowhere nearly related to what I'm being taught. And my counselor goes, so what do you want to do? And I just took a couple of moments, opened up my bag, and I pulled out my sketchbook, and I handed it to them. And I said, this is what I want to do, architecture. So they opened the book, flipped through it, and they all just kind of look at each other and go, okay, we can work with this. And I'll never forget this. The vice principal said, there's a class here called industrial drafting you should take, which is basically just drafting out floor plans and other technical drawings. And then he says, there's a GPA requirement of a 3.0 to take the class, but I think we can make an exception. And so later that fall, when school starts back up again, I head to that class and I just remember falling in love with everything about it, setting up the workstation, brainstorming ideas, redoing it over and over until I got every single detail as close to perfect as possible. There was this rush I would get every time I would finish a project that I still get to this day. And the teacher of that class, Mr. Simpson, who was a great teacher, great fucking teacher, he could immediately see the passion that I had. And he would help me out, give me feedback on my drawings, recommend what books I should read. He really taught me how to have confidence in my work. So yeah, junior year flies by and now it's around May again. Just one giant flash, to be honest. My grades are still shit, mind you. It's not like I found architecture and then my life changed dramatically. Not at all. My report card was like D, 63%. D plus, 67%. Industrial drafting, 135%. I swear to God, just D, 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 A, plus, plus, plus. So junior year is almost done. Senior year is a few months away. And that teacher asked me one day, he goes, do you have any plans for after graduation? And at that point, I knew it was architecture. So I told him, well, my grades are complete shit. So I'm probably going to go to a JC somewhere a few hours away and study architecture for a little bit and then transfer to a bigger school. And he says, okay, well, if you could go to any school you want, grades aside, where would you go? And my first immediate thought was Notre Dame. I knew it was a good school, and plus I had been a big fan of their football team like my entire life. And he just kind of shakes his head. Conversation ends. I don't really think anything of it. The next day, he comes up to me during class and he says, there's a program at Notre Dame for high school students to see what a college architecture curriculum is like. I really think you should apply. And I think I... I laughed, to be honest. I think I laughed and I said, I appreciate it, but there's no way I'm getting in. I had like a 2.2 GPA at the time, a couple more bad grades, and even the JCs were going to start rejecting me. And he goes, just apply. I have all the drawings you've done over the past year in a pile. We can scan them, get your transcripts, put together a portfolio, and send it out. Easy as that. And so I go home that night, tell my parents, and they're like, Yes, please, for the love of God, send this in. 
I think my mom even took me that day to the post office and overnighted the physical copy of my portfolio to the school. So I send out my application. Again, I don't expect anything. A couple weeks pass, nothing. I'm headed to lunch one day and I get an email on my phone. I see who it's from, I open it up and it says I was accepted. And the cool thing was not only did I get accepted, it said they were gonna grant me a scholarship that would cover the program. And you know, I show my friends, we're celebrating, high-fiving and shit. And I remember later that day after school, I went to that class to show my teacher and he goes, I knew you could do it. There wasn't a second where I thought you couldn't do it. And then he says, not many people know this, but I'm retiring at the end of this year. I'm not going to be here for your senior year, but keep working. I wrote you a letter of recommendation. Keep adding to your portfolio and do me a favor. Apply everywhere. Now is the time to jump all the way in, son. Ooh, I'm getting goosebumps saying this, man. Damn. And there was a part of me that knew he was right. I knew that it was easy to be a big fish in a small pond. And this was a very, very small pond. I knew I just had to jump in. So I packed my stuff, flew to Notre Dame for that summer program before my senior year. And listen, before I go on, I don't want this to sound like I flew over there and I was like the best of the fucking best. Like this is some fucking Cinderella story because that is not true. I was decent compared to some of the people I studied with. Some of the most talented people I had ever met were at that camp who, by the way, all went on to do amazing fucking things. Camp was great. I learned a lot. It was genuinely one of the best experiences of my life. I feel like I learned so much about myself in almost every way, especially when it came to design. So while I was nowhere near the best, I knew where I stood in terms of progress. I knew what I needed to work on, what my weaknesses were. I knew that I could at least hang with the bigger fish from Chicago and Austin and New York. It really gave me the momentum I needed to get me through my senior year. It was honestly the reason I bothered to apply to an actual university instead of a JC. I was just riding such a high coming back from that summer that I genuinely felt that I could do anything. I only applied to one school though, despite the advice my teacher gave me. I only applied to one place, not Notre Dame. As optimistic as I was feeling, I was also a realist. I knew I wasn't going to get in. Getting into a summer program is one thing. Getting into the actual institution is a whole nother fucking thing. It's like that one night stand you have with someone who's like way out of your league that you somehow managed to land. It was like that. I wasn't going to push my luck any further. So I applied to an architecture school in San Diego. I knew I didn't have the best grades, but I had a really strong portfolio and a lot of experience like as much as one could have at that age. And I remember I had to write one of those college essays where you basically have to beg them to let you in. Oh, pick me, please. I have a 6.4 GPA and I'm fucking class president of everything and five different extracurriculars and I discovered electricity. All that fun shit. And I, I remember the question for the essay was, why do you want to pursue architecture? And I just wrote my story. The story I just told you guys, the anxiety, 500 days of summer, Notre Dame, everything. 
So I sent him my application, my transcripts, portfolio, and essay. A month passes, nothing. Another month passes, nothing. Now it's like March. Graduation is a few weeks away at this point, and the deadline to register for classes at a JC the following year was like the following week. So I'm kind of stressed. And then one day I'm leaving school, the bell had just rang, everyone was heading home. And I get a call on my phone from a San Diego area code. And I answered, hello? And the voice is on the other end. He's like, hi, is this Angel? And like, this is him? And the guy says, well, good. I'm glad I was able to get a hold of you. I understand you applied to a school a couple months back. And I'm like, yup, I did. Mentally, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I literally thought to myself, they call you to reject you from college now? That's how much of a fucking mess I was. I thought they were calling me to reject me. And so I'm like, yeah, I applied a couple months back. And he says, okay, good. I was on the board of admissions that reviewed your application. I wanted to reach out because I wanted to let you know that the essay you submitted with your application, we all found it really inspiring. And I just wanted to see if you had a chance to check your mailbox yet. And I'm like, no, I'm literally about to run home and check right now as soon as this call ends. And he says, you do that and give me a call back once you read it. So I run home, open up my mailbox, rip that fucking thing open, and it said I was accepted. Shit, I saw the word accepted and I started packing that day. Graduation was eight weeks away. That didn't matter. I had my bags packed right there, right by the door. I didn't leave until the fall, but fuck it, I'm ready to leave today. So college, this is where we go. This is why you guys came here. I'm sorry for dragging this out so long. Like some piece of shit YouTuber who puts the answer at the end of the 15 minute video, I'm sorry. Anyway, college, I head out to beautiful San Diego to do bong ribs and to study architecture. Which, I don't know if a lot of you guys know this, but architecture school is hell. You're putting in like 50 hours a week on studio alone. I can go on and on with the endless stories of how intense it was, which I plan to, just not today. I have some episodes with my fellow studio mates, aka my war buddies, planned for another time. There will be plenty of time for that. But the studio, like the actual studio itself, is really just a giant floor or building where people could either collaboratively or individually work on their projects. Open 24 hours, which I loved. Open 24 hours because it worked around your schedule. Because creativity doesn't have a clock. Some work best at 9 a.m., others work best at 2 a.m. It doesn't matter, 24 hours. In terms of layout, all open space, hardly any walls, walls block creativity it was just one giant open space with desks and lamps there was usually a kitchenette of some sort that we could use microwave refrigerator it was like this twisted mix of an office space but no one ever really left because there was so much work to do so it was also kind of like half your house students would have cots mini fridges it was just a bunch of creative geniuses clicking away at their computer for 20 straight hours, smoking reefer, drinking beer, really anything to numb the burnout, and then they would plop down on the cot right next to their desk for four hours, wake up, and do it all again. Which, 
they later banned cots. They got rid of them. They weren't allowed on campus anymore because it didn't look good from an HR perspective. Something about how they didn't want to promote a toxic studio culture. So my sophomore year, they had no more cots. That was gone. That didn't matter. People just brought in sleeping bags. Like, they just slept under their desk. So it's you and about 30 or 50 other students in your year, all kind of put into one place. It's who you'll end up becoming friends with, eating with, having nervous breakdowns with. This really sounds like some demented Hogwarts experience, to be quite honest. But really, the people in your studio, like, they're the ones you become close with. They become your best friends that go on way past school ending because you literally see them every day. There were people who were married in my studio that saw us more, more than they saw their own spouse. That's just how it was. And listen, yes, we worked nonstop and we were burnt out, but that's really what made us closer, knowing we were all in the trenches together, staying up for two days straight designing, getting a bad review on a project and going to get blackout drunk with everyone. But we also had really great times playing ping pong at three o'clock in the morning, cigarette breaks, smoking a little bit of medication and then going to McDonald's in the middle of the night. Those are all memories, unhealthy ones, but good ones. But really, are any healthy memories good memories? No one says, oh, we went out for a nice salad and then we were in home. We were at home and in bed by 8 p.m. No one says that. So it was in those little pockets of memories we were able to create some really cool shit, some innovative shit. If you surround yourself with the right group, the studio space would really help you want to take your game to the next level. And your friends would want that for you. You would all want to create groundbreaking shit because you all went through hell together. What my therapist would call trauma bonding, we would call design school. I guess we could put it that way. So... That's really what I have in mind when I think of the studio. Creating cool shit and having a good time doing it. And that's what this podcast is. I already have the design stuff down. The portfolio was up. The posts are being made on Instagram. That is already consistent, kind of. What's left is the really important part. Bringing life to the shit. I wrote an article on my LinkedIn where I talk about the night I launched the Soto Studio. And I know a lot of you aren't big on reading. So I'll just kind of break it down for you. I first came up with the idea of the Soto Studio, of the studio. I came up with the idea of turning it into a design agency probably early November of my junior year of college. And at first, I didn't even know where to start. So I think I just really Googled like business plan or how to make a business plan. And then I just followed that. It took time. Don't get me wrong. You know, and I'm a big fan of the theatrics, so I remember thinking to myself, okay, if I bust my ass with school and getting this business plan done, I can launch by New Year's Eve. So that's what I did. I busted my ass to make that deadline. And so it's New Year's Eve. I have a couple of friends. We, they come over for a couple of drinks to pregame before we head out to celebrate the night. And during that time, as we're drinking, taking cheap shots... I start breaking it down to them. I say, hey guys, listen, I have an idea I want to run by you. And so I just start telling them my business plan, go to market strategy. And I remember just breaking it all down to them. And I had this weird feeling of burnout and excitement 
with maybe a little bit of booze going. And I just kept thinking about the past couple of months, everything I had went through just to get to the launching point, juggling finals, creating a business plan, coding. It was like a never ending list. So to be there, it felt a bit surreal. And so we finished pre-gaming and we make our way down to a bar about like nine blocks away from where I was living called Altitude. They were having a party on the roof. Everyone's celebrating New Year's Eve. The vibes are great. So we make our way up there. We're having a good time. But still, I'm in this like weird like headspace. It feels kind of like I'm dreaming a little bit. And you see, whenever something is about to happen that's kind of monumental, you seem to have these kind of moments, these out-of-body moments where you're able to grasp just how important that moment is. And I remember standing on that rooftop really thinking to myself, this is a big moment. This is the moment. And I just kept repeating to myself, this is what I was meant to do. As tacky as it was, this is what I was meant to do. I was exhausted and I was burnt out, but I also felt like I was exactly where I was supposed to be. I just kept repeating to myself the same thing that my teacher told me before I left for Notre Dame jump all the way in. And so that's what I did. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't let this podcast fool you into thinking that I'm some sort of tech mogul, that I have it all figured out, that we made it, that we're millionaires, because that could not be farther from the truth. This is me just telling my story, introducing you all to what the studio is and how it affected my life, both for the good and bad. I mean, I was 22 years old when I started this business. And I remember thinking, how do you even begin to wrap your head around that? Like launching a company is one thing. Anybody can do that. But to actually start working, to actually sit down and to make sure that the business strategy is done, to make sure that the objectives are being met, making sure the projections are adjusting, making the connections, that's where it gets daunting. Because you don't even know where to start. But you have to start somewhere. And I've said this before, I thought I was going to launch my business and things were just going to start clicking. Like I knew it was going to be hard. I just didn't know it was going to be five full-time fucking jobs into one. So again, I don't want to give off this image that it's all figured out. Let's pump the brakes on that. We're still out here hustling and grinding. Some months you're on top of the world tweeting at Elon that he better move over because Big Dick is back in town. And other months, you're laying on the ground wondering what you're doing with your life. It's called balance, people. And so if you're listening to this wondering if you should jump all in, go for it. You too can end up hosting a podcast and enduring the fun of nervous breakdowns and the anxiety of gambling your entire future. Go for it. Come on over. We're all having a great time. So that's what the studio is, people. It's an experience. It's a place where we can create, come together, laugh, maybe drink too much, maybe smoke too much weed. We can innovate. We can just get better. That's what this studio is. So I encourage you guys to join. I encourage you guys to tell your friends. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening to my story. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. I will see you all next week. I love you guys. And now it's time for ads. This episode is sponsored to you by The Soto Studio. Yes, that is my company. Yes, I am sponsoring this episode. And yes, 
That is my corporate way of saying that I'm paying for it. And why is that? Because we don't have any fucking sponsors. So it's time to get back to work, people. It's time to start taking the phones from your friends, going to their Spotify account, and clicking the follow button. It's time to start doing a little bit of a pitch strategy. It's time to get creative. Listen to me. Next time your friend is venting to you about how they had a long day and that their spouse isn't speaking to them, stop that mid-conversation and say, Hey, I bet you're feeling a bit down right now, huh? I bet you could use a good laugh, maybe a nice chuckle. Well, good news. Because you know what will make you chuckle? You know what will get you out of this depression? If you listen to a podcast by this guy named Angel Bernard, you know, the good-looking one with the glasses, you should give him a listen and maybe even a follow. It'll help you feel better. That's the kind of marketing and the type of footwork we need to have on the ground. That's the offensive strategy we need to go by from now on, people. It's time to get the numbers back up. It's time to make your cult leader, your messiah, Angel B. It's time to make him famous. Let's get the checks coming, people. Whoever it is, I don't care. All right? Let's get the numbers going. Thank you. I love you guys. I'll see you all next week.